Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke? Luke chapter 1. It's hard to imagine we are a week and a half, of, well, almost two weeks away from Christmas. Wow. This year has been an interesting one, but it, it, uh, it has come and gone. Um, as I prayed about what the Lord would want us to consider concerning um, this message today, it, uh, it caused me to remember so many of the messages that the Lord has allowed us to share together over the many years concerning the nativity and concerning those things that were prophesied in the scripture concerning the coming of Jesus. And we've been blessed with a uh, with an amazing repertoire of of wonderful insights concerning this well-known story. And we're so thankful first of all that Jesus came. And we are thankful as well to have the chronicle of his word that tells us so much more than simply the basic things, as important as they are. But today we want to take a look at something that Gabriel said to Mary, and we want to think about what it was that God saw in her. And I believe that in this, there's a key to grace for all of us. So, in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, it says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutations this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, we recognize that favor in this uh, pronunciation of Gabriel is grace. It is, it is charis. It is that measure that we've studied throughout the New Testament regarding the wonderful privilege of grace. And as we have studied about grace, we recognize that you can either partner with God and move forward, move upward, ignoring scenarios that could uh, cause you to miss God and putting them aside and moving forward in God, or you can fail in grace and welcome a climate and an atmosphere of bitterness. We've studied that. And as I was looking at this today, it became quite obvious to me that both in the scenario of Gabriel and in Mary, there was the opportunity for bitterness. First of all, with Gabriel, 
You know, his, his word transliterated from the Hebrew means mighty man, Gabor. And we also recognize that in the timetable and the timing of God, the history that, that is very much unknown to us, at some point there was a contingent of angels that did not like what God intended to do through mankind. And so they rebelled. They, in whatever way, allowed, uh, instead of going forward with what God intended to do in grace from his throne, they rejected that and in some ways committed angelic bitterness. Now, I, that's my word. But they rejected God, and instead of moving forward according to his plan, they elected to, to rebel. And Gabriel was a witness to all of this, and, at, and, and he stood firm as so many other angels did, in their devotion and their fidelity before God. And if there was ever an angel that would, uh, would have had, if there was cause, a reason to reject mankind being created in the image of God and becoming mighty men and women in God, it would have been an angel whose name means mighty man. You know, if, if, you know, Satan had his own issues and iniquity was found in him, but if, if your name from God as an angel is, is mighty one, mighty man, and here God's talking about creating one that's not simply a mighty man, but one in his own image will be a joint heir. If there were cause for, for any of the angels to have thought, I don't like that, it would have been the one named Gabriel, who stands at the right hand of God, which is where we are now through Jesus Christ. It's the place of the saints. So here you have an angel who is devoted to the ways of God, who is devoted as a messenger of the right hand of God, standing and making this proclamation concerning the Holy Ghost coming upon Mary and the Holy Ghost causing her to conceive, here you have this declaration from one that did not rebel, that stood firm and stood fast on behalf of the Lord. And, and I, I cherish that. It is, it is an example of overcoming something that others failed in. And that is a picture here when the first words out of Gabriel's mouth to Mary were, you are highly favored. You are the recipient of grace at the highest measure. And from the mouth of this mighty one, uh, which had witnessed a failing of grace, per specifically in regard to this prophecy of, of mankind being brought before the Father and walking with God, it's, it's this messenger, Gabriel, and I, I think that's wonderful. But then you have Mary, and we were talking recently about uh, how many people in Europe have the name Mary in their designation, whether it's Marie or, or whatever, whatever Anne Marie or Luke Marie or whatever it might be. And over here we have Caitlin Marie, uh, so we, we kind of stuck that on her, 
uh, prophetically about her time in, in France. <laughs> but we, we say that and we don't recognize that the, the word Mary comes from Miriam, which comes from Mara, which means bitterness and rebellion. If you look up, even in Strong's, the High and Holy Strong's, you'll find out that this, this name can mean rebellion. And it stems from bitterness. And, you know, you even think about Miriam in the Old Testament, who was Moses' sister, and she, um, she, was, she was one that didn't like the fact that Moses chose an Ethiopian woman to marry, and she mouthed off about it, and God wasn't having any of it. And, um, but, but Miriam also was the one that was watching over the, the little basket, and when Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's court was there and the baby was found, Miriam was the one that suggested, hey, you know, I know a woman that can nurse this child for you. And you know, so, so in some ways, that gift can either go forward and be creative, or it can protest anybody that's not acknowledging their creativity. And so with Mara, you have the possibility of either being bitter or you can prophesy the, the vitality of God. And, and I, I don't think it's any, any um, coincidence or any kind of, oh, hey, I wonder if God knew about that, that he chose a woman whose name was Mary to have Gabriel speak to who would then overcome a proclivity in mankind to reject and to be embittered and to welcome the true gift of grace, to whom grace and truth would come. So Gabriel says to Mary, Hail, you are highly favored. And then he says, after Mary's kind of trying to process what's going on and says she's troubled at the saying, he says again, Fear not, for you have found favor with God. Both instances was grace. Now, it's interesting that we must find favor. It's interesting because that is reiterated throughout the Old Testament and in other places in the New Testament. Um, we don't know what Mary had done in growing up to be a pristine sacrifice before the Lord for this. We don't, we don't really know her track record. We don't, we don't know much about how she was raised or the things that she had done that really demonstrated. The, the Scripture doesn't tell us those things. But what we do know is that um, to find here is the Greek word hurisko, which doesn't just mean to stumble upon something. It really speaks the gamut of you being prepared as an individual, you being uh, through your actions and through your devotion, making a, a platform upon which a person could then, I'm going to use this term loosely, qualify to be presented with something and then to participate in it. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What had he done? 
Well, he was living in a very corrupt world. I mean, you think today is bad. <laughs> well, and, and the days are supposed to be as the days of Noah. But Noah was dealing with scenarios where women were uh, having relations with fallen ones and producing creatures that were spiritless but giants. You had, you had crazy things going on. You had wickedness of a very high order. But Noah stayed true and to the best of his ability remained pure. So when he found, and that, and that word, motzas, means that he, he was in a position to discover. And you don't, you don't want to negate the, the possibility of being in a position. It's not that you merit grace, but you're at least positioned to where God can offer a pathway to you. And, and I think that this, this business of, of finding grace uh, and being prepared for it by your integrity and by your willingness to serve God, no matter what kind of wickedness might be around you, is a prerequisite to being in position to actually see the grace and to be willing to participate in it. And I think that when, when, you, when you're in, in a heurisco, when you're in a position to discover grace, you have to continue to be guarding over that position so that um, you don't give place to iniquity and you don't give place to offense and you don't reject grace and hence produce a crop of bitterness. It's what Israel did in the, in, the, in the wilderness wanderings. You know, every day, well, six days out of the week, they had to go out and find manna. What is it? Where is it? And they got angry about that after a while. They, they became bitter. And you remember what God did with the quail. He said, well, these people want meat. Well, I'm going to give them meat, and I'm going to give them so much meat, it's going to come off their noses. That's God's words. That's not mine. How that happened, it's not a pretty sight. Don't draw a picture of that, Imani. But quail nose. <laughs> we, could, we could cast out the quail nose spirit out of people. That was, well, we could, that, Tammy, that'd be a good seminar title. We could pack this place with social distance people. So, um, but, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to keep on moving in grace. You've got to grow in grace. And part of that is not just following God, but making sure that in your life you are still welcoming that platform, that position to move in grace. And that's what Herisco is. And, and so whatever Mary had done, she had done a good thing before God in positioning herself to qualify for the invitation from God to partner with him. And I feel like life is filled with those kinds of things for us. We are always in a, in a valley of decision, the burden of that valley, as to whether we're going to go forth in grace or we're going to gripe and become bitter and whether we're going to grow cold and lukewarm and, you know, we, it, 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 to, to continue to thrive in grace, we have to be in, in a position 
by our own devotion to God and our faithfulness to Him to keep meriting in our, in our own existence, not before God, because you don't earn grace, but you certainly are in a position where you can find it. Joseph found grace in the eyes of Pharaoh. How did he do that? Well, hey, that guy had all kinds of crazy stuff thrown at him. But with every one of them, he kept the right spirit. In fact, you know, some even said the spirit of the gods was, was with him. And he, he had the spirit of God upon him. But he kept overcoming the opportunity to, uh, to become bitter. Even when he had the upper hand, and he was in a position where he could have thrown the hammer down on the very brothers that sold him into slavery and lied to him, he did not bite on that, but kept a pure spirit. That's how Joseph continued to walk in, in grace. And so it's very interesting to me here that at the, at the beginning of this business, now, you know, you, we had just heard the story of Zacharias, who <clears throat> Gabriel had talked in the Harmony of the Gospels about their supplication being honored before God. And um, at some point in times long past, obviously, he and his wife Elizabeth had partnered with God in the spirit of grace, because that's what supplication moves in. And they committed themselves to God. They probably said something to the order of, we're going to serve you. And, you know, would you give us a child? Would you break this barrenness from us? And years later, Gabriel shows up and said, your supplications and those things that you offered through supplication were heard of God. And I'm here because of that. So grace is everywhere in this story. And, and even though... Zacharias did not rebel. He wasn't embittered. He wasn't believing much anymore. And who could blame him? You know, he and his wife were very old. And the idea of them, you know, bearing a child at that age was just nonsense in a human idea. It was, it was on a parallel with, with Abraham. I mean, <laughs> they were old. And so, but Gabriel wasn't having any of those disputations, and he shut the mouth of the man. And so you had grace all through this story. And whether it's the opportunity to, to begin to doubt God or to give up or to be embittered or rebellious, you cannot look at this story and not see that everywhere here because it is the foundation. It is... It is the soil through which miracles come. So it's not like, you know, Mary was just tooling along and all of a sudden Gabriel comes and pronounces grace. Oh, wow, I've got grace. No. Hurisco firmly says, as well as Masa in the Old Testament, that you don't just stumble on it. Oh, look, look there. It looks a whole lot of grace. It might be grace. I'm going to pick it up. I found. Look what I found, Janet. I found me some grace. You prepare yourself for that. Now, Mary didn't have any idea that she would be as a virgin conceiving through the power of the Holy Ghost. I mean, that was not, that was not on her radar, I'm sure. But nevertheless, she lived her life to a degree 
that she was cultivating the soil of grace, as did Noah, as did Joseph, and as did so many others. And you cannot separate that pre preparation for grace from the finding of grace here. Now in Hebrews, the Bible talks about when we go before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace. There's finding grace again. What about this obtaining mercy? Now, we know from our study in the Old Testament that you know, mercy is, is much more than just a compassionate token. You know, Moses and, you know, Aaron, they did not go into the Holy of Holies to be at the, at the uh, uh, mercy seat to have God tell them, oh, you poor, poor thing, you know, Oh, yeah, I know it's been rough here. Let me, let, me, let me just touch you and let you know it's going to be okay. No, it was a place of commune. It was a place of planning. It was strategy before the cherubs. And here Gabriel comes, and he's not a cherub, but he is declaring the plan of God. You, you obtain mercy in conjunction with finding grace. You obtain direction from God. You, Lombano, you have to reach out and take it. You have to want to hear it. You have to want to receive it. You have to want to, to be that type of person who doesn't think you know everything already and nobody's telling me anything. You know, I've lived this way all my life. You know, my father trained me. You know, my grandparents. No, there's something more God's wanting to say. And I'm going to take it as he gives that mercy. I'm going to obtain that mercy here in the place where I'm finding grace before the throne of grace. And you find that, you find that formula working everywhere. And again, there's no mercy seat here. But Gabriel's coming straight from the throne. And he's declaring what's going to happen. And, and Mary is pondering these things. She is processing how she's going to take that, how she's going to receive that mercy, and you see the principle here again. You cannot separate that measure, and, and maybe that's how grace and truth comes. Grace and truth came through Jesus, and we still participate in it because when we are guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth and we're discovering things that have not been seen before or known before and we are we're participating in partnership with God to reveal them that's a demonstration of mercy that's God saying let me tell you about something now that I've not revealed to people before let me show you a hidden thing a hidden riches in secret places let me reveal this to you that's that's a measure of mercy so it's everywhere but in the middle of all of it is us. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. You can lead people to the opportunity of grace, but you can't make them not be bitter. You can't make them reject. You can't make them not reject. And so what this means for us is, first of all, let's see this principle. You know Gabriel is still active. He's not up there uh, 
in uh, a Jesus is not seated waiting for the trumpet to blow, and he's not got a whole row of angels that aren't doing anything right now. Gabriel is still functioning. He is he has, thanks be to God, been integral in the development of what God has given us to do as saints. In, in the early days of, of uh, the inception of this calling and the reception of this calling, the, the messenger, Gabriel, was in many ways uh, integrally involved in, in our development, and I believe still is. So there's still the possibility for us to keep growing in grace. But as we do that, we've got to guard ourselves. Each of us has to guard ourselves to make sure that the soil upon which grace is found in is cultivated. And that can be done by our willingness, our commune with God, our serving Him, our putting away things that could rise up as tares, that could rise up as briars, that could rise up as bitter roots. And we, we cannot, I think that's one of the ways we safeguard um, a root of bitterness arising that defiles many. We keep that soil of grace, that herisco of finding grace, we keep it ready so that that's, that root possibility doesn't even begin. If we think that we just reject grace and suddenly a root comes of bitterness, that's nonsense. That, that, where do those roots come from? Is there an arboretum of hell that just, hey, hey, they failed in grace. Get one up there. No. You've you got you to keep working that soil. You know, if I let my yard go, which I have done at times in the past, I don't anymore, it takes me three times the time to correct the nonsense that I let happen because I didn't watch it. It got quiet when I said that one. But, you know, if we keep the soil of grace before God, a purity of partnership with Him cultivated, there's not even going to be the beginnings of a root of bitterness. And that's what's seen here in Hurisco, to find grace. And both Mary, Noah, Joseph and others, they lived a life before God that was willing to be pure before Him. And through that then, this comes. Yes, there's the possibility of bitterness. There's the possibility of rebellion. The same person like Miriam that can get a, a tremendous insight and prophesy to Pharaoh's court. Hey, look, do this. And through that, Moses is saved and readily installed into the plan of God. She can do that, but she can also say, you know what? I don't like what he's doing. I don't, I, you know, did, did you smell that woman? She eats food that we don't even, wouldn't even consider eating. And you think, if you think, you think that wasn't a conversation? Those people were saying, hey, we like the leeks and garlic from back there. You know, they were a fragrant people. And, and they, they, she was finding fault with this woman. And where did that come from? Moses obviously found something he liked about her. 
So she must not have been as ugly as mud dauber. That's an, Pastor Pam, that's an old West Virginia phrase. When you come among us again, you can explain to all these people what that means. But, you know, she, she found same one with the timbrel dancing, you know, the horse and rider thrown in the sea. She's laying it out there. So there's a possibility for all of us to rise up and say, oh, I'm offended. I don't like this. Which is why it's so important for prophets to be martyria, to die. It's why it's so important for Paul to say, I die daily. Because that's part of the cultivation of the soil for grace. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just really moved upon by this theme this morning, obviously. And even though we have looked at this passage in so many ways, and the, the living word keeps breathing new insights, I could not get away from this. In fact, I had studied this yesterday afternoon, and I talked with Kelly last evening, and she said, what are you feeling for this morning? And I said, well, this is what I'm thinking, but it, I, I think I said it may and probably will change in the morning. Well, I got up in the morning, and there was thunder out there, and lightning was flashing. I thought, oh, great, goody, this is, this is my kind of atmosphere. I'm, the Lord's going to drop a, a nugget on us here. Well, this was the nugget. This nug didn't go anywhere. So I think that this is a word for us as we enter the year of, of prophetic influence. And as we consider Gabriel and Mary and to a um, peripheral degree, Zacharias, every one of them were working that measure of partnership with God in grace leading up to this time. And we need to guard ourselves with the great advances in grace, with the great things that God has for us to accomplish in tandem with Him on His behalf to where the creativity that God is wanting to inspire in these days of necessity, we have to do whatever we can to prepare our hearts and, and be ready to find grace. Because... When we're doing that, we'll obtain mercy. You say, which came first, the obtaining mercy or the finding grace? In Hebrews, obtaining mercy came first. But, you know, I, I kind of think they are, they're a wheel within a wheel because you're continuing to commune with God in, in his mercy. And then that sets the stage for you to be obedient and that then is a daily regimen of faithfulness. But then when that sets the stage for God to infuse grace or to continue to cause you to grow in that grace, then other mercy comes. And so one feeds upon another, but they're both there and you cannot separate them. It really is the pathway of grace and truth. So what I say to you this morning is this. Let's take a really good look at our lives and let's see that factor, that Mary factor, that Gabriel factor, that Zechariah's factor, and make sure that we're coming on the right side of that. 
You're never going to be in a position where you eliminate that possibility of failing. Because like, like God said to the children of Israel, you know, I'm not going to remove all your enemies because then you're going you're to forget how to fight. You're going to forget how to overcome. And overcoming is a really big thing with God. Uh, how many to him that overcomes are there in the Scripture? So we have to recognize that these are factors in us. And we should never, as, as John cautioned, let's not let anybody say we're perfect because if we say that, we're cruising and we're going to be in trouble. So we need to look into our own lives. As David said in Psalm 51, search me, try me, see if there's any wicked way. I don't want to go off into bitterness. I don't even want to, to fail to tend the soil of grace. I want to heurisco. I want to find that. I want to be in a position where God can entrust me. And then as he entrusts me, I want to be in a position that I don't muck it up. And it's, uh, it's upon us. It's upon us. And it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing. Which is why I think that if we recall the table of grace that is not in front of us this morning, it's funny how sometimes I forget that there's communion elements in front of me. This mast and pulpit here that Scott made, I don't see it, and then I remember. Um, on this day when it's not there, I'm thinking about it. But the table of grace, the Eucharistia, there was bitter sop there. And God says, you know, you need to be looking at yourself. You, you can't let bitterness come because if, if you do, your partnership and commune with me and the fresh word is not going to find a good place in you. So where are we in this as individuals? We need to take a good look at ourselves and we need to say, Lord, as Mary did, even so, let it be unto me according to your word. But it's just not saying that. It's being in that position where you find grace. You're prepared for God, should he choose, to give a word to you and to use you in the, the moving forward. And so in this beautiful Christmas Advent, we look at this essential element. And without this, the story does not happen. And you have these people, Zacharias, who thought his time in partnership with grace had long passed. You have Gabriel, who had witnessed abominable things and re resisted the opportunity to rebel and stood firmly and strongly, resolutely, on behalf of the Heavenly Father. And you have Mary, who is just beginning life. She um, was betrothed to a man. She, uh, she thought everything was just going to be in a certain way, as only a young person could. But she lived her life to where she would be visited by this mighty angel and the communication of what God wanted to do was presented to her. Where are we in this? Some might have thinking, been thinking, boy, Lord, you sure are taking your time with some of these things you promised. Some might be saying, you know, I saw others fall. It just makes me so mad. 
and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna judge them, and we're forgetting about what the Scripture says in in um, Galatians about if a brother's overtaken in a fault, you which are pneumaticos, you you go and restore, bring back perfect flow, and consider yourself in meekness, lest you also fall. That's part of grace too. And are you willing? To become, as the Apostle Paul said, as chaste virgins before God again. It's all about grace. It's all about being prepared for it. And I'm very thankful that in each of these instances that are listed here, the people overcame. And grace brought forth the most perfect gift, our Lord Jesus Christ. And... I always remember something that, you know, David Duplessis, who uh, we were privileged to have speak here a number of times many, many years ago. We recorded him up in um, this, the, the old studio. Um, I remember going to lunch with him one day on a break. Precious man. He said that all of us should regularly be pregnant with Jesus. And it kind of stunned me when he said that. And I thought, yeah, you're right. We should continually be wanting to bring forth what the Son of God is doing right now. We should live our lives to let that happen. And he certainly wanted to do it in the days that are coming, isn't he? This world needs it. The nations need it, and we are, we are blessed to be in a position to say, here am I, send me, be it unto me according to your word. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the beauty of your scriptures, which tell of the glory of partnering with you. As much as we know, we still need to be taught by you of the deeper things that you want to reveal. And we ask you, Father, that you would cause our hearts and our minds to be open, that we would receive those words and that we would truly find and discover grace. Help us to obtain mercy and let us search ourselves to see if there be any wicked, any bitter way, any proclivity to fall, we don't want that in us. It can be so subtle. It can appear to be the, the most sincere and sweetest voice of our conscience, but yet it's wicked in its intent. Let us not fall. Help us, Lord. Help us. We want to be used of you. And we ask this on the platform of pure thanks to you. Forevermore we'll be thanking you for your plan in sending Jesus to this earth. Thank you for being willing to come to give yourself a ransom. Thank you for being willing to come and to pattern what it means to be sons. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Continue to teach us more as we pray with you. But let us be those that are in a position of humility and meekness before you, that we might find grace in new ways and to serve you in, uh, in, in conjunction with what you want to do in 
the days to come. I speak blessing over all of these precious people that are gathered here on this cold and rainy morning. And I, I speak blessing upon those who are joining with us across the miles, whether it be live right now or by virtue of archive. Uh, we declare the blood of Jesus over all of us, that that dark winter that was prophesied by Joe Biden will not be part of our life, that we will walk in the light of the Lord and none of us, none of us, by the power of the blood and by the goodness of our God, will, will receive that COVID virus. Let us walk in health and in life, and let us be purveyors of your miracle power to others. I speak blessing over your people. Provide, meet every need, and let us continue to walk in you. Let us be those intercessors that we've committed ourselves to be before you. Bless this people, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that amen chorus. Okay, don't forget, uh, uh, we will have ministry through the week online. Uh, don't miss out on that. And uh, a week from this Wednesday, a Zoom Christmas gathering, and then Christmas Eve coming. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Bye.